find a coach, find someone who can come in and not only help you develop the message, but pressure test that message, help you do the practice runs to prepare for it so that you, you, you and your team look and sound consistent, positive, and persuasive. Welcome to Making It to Market, the podcast where we discuss everything about taking your product or service idea through to commercialization. I'm your host, Dahlia Collada. How many sales pitches have you made? And how do you know they were effective and memorable? Do you know the formula to create an impactful and deliberate pitch? This topic will be a four-part series. You'll want to hear them in order. There's so much to learn from today's guest, so stick around so you can hear more about what's happening on the next episode. Today, we'll be discussing how to drive decision and behavior through storytelling. Whether you have five minutes to make a pitch or an hour, you don't want to miss the key takeaways from this guest expert. Guess what? At the end of today's episode, we're featuring an indie musical artist. Information, links, and a transcript from today's episode are available in the show notes. Let's get into it. Joining me today is an industry expert you have got to meet. He guides businesses on how to increase sales and drive engagement using persuasive yet deliberate communication, all done through storytelling. Our guest has a background in marketing, sales, and innovation, and has earned an MBA from the University of Alaska and an executive certificate in strategy and innovation from MIT's Sloan School of Management. He is the president at Deliberate Consulting. Kevin Palo, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dahlia. Well, before we get started, is it true you were in the Army for nine years? I was in the Army for nine years and I realized eventually that I liked living in Alaska more than I liked being in the army. So got out up there and then that's where I started my MBA program. I went into the oil industry and eventually in the oil industry, all roads lead to Houston. So I've been in Houston now for 18 years, hard to believe, but uh, we loved it up there. I mean, just the, the, the atmosphere, the environment, the, the wildlife, it was just fantastic. I can't imagine. Do you have any cool stories about moose coming up to your front porch or anything? (laughs) Yeah, every every Halloween they would come and eat the the pumpkins off the front porch. You had to keep them, try to keep them out of your trees because they will destroy your trees by eating those. We had bears that would hit our garbage cans every couple of years. Wow, was, like literally, literally in the wild. wild. <laughs> literally wild. So today we have you on to talk about making a pitch, making that sales pitch, and how do you create that message. And so I know you are the expert at storytelling. What's, what is the equation for coming up with a solid message for storytelling or creating that brand image? Okay. So let's, let's talk about storytelling. First. Sure. So for me, you know, if you go online and you Google storytelling or business storytelling, you're going to get a thousand different opinions from, from, you know, 750 people, right. It's, it's, there's a lot of different ways to look at storytelling. And so, you know, you'll hear things like the hero's journey, where you talk about making your audience the hero or someone like your audience the hero. And they start off and they're kind of lost and then they find a mentor and then there's growth and then something bad happens, but then they recover and they win in the end. Classic Star Wars story, right? The hero's journey. The thing is in business, 
if you take half an hour to tell that story, you take 10 minutes to tell that story. After a minute or two, your audience, their mind is somewhere else thinking, I don't know where she's going with this. Or, okay, that's, that's kind of interesting, but it doesn't drive me to actually do anything. If, you, if it takes you 10 to 30 or 60 minutes to get through a story and then tie it to your point, you've already lost your audience. That's a problem. Now, does it mean that that approach is bad? No, sometimes it works really well. Sometimes if you're a keynote speaker, it can be very powerful, but it's hard to apply to most sales situations. What I've also seen is people try to tell the story, the one story. And usually it's a founder story, you know, kind of like, you know, when you were in Europe and you're having tendonitis issues, you know, that gave the rationale behind why you started using and buying and now, now selling these products. That's a great story. The problem is, is that for some people, for some organizations, they tell that story every, in every situation to every client. And if you're talking, you know, for example, let's say you're trying to put your product into multiple stores and you're talking to the buyer for that, for that store. Well, your personal story doesn't make a, isn't, isn't very interesting to them because for them, they're looking at generating revenue and sales, right? So your, so, you know, the founder story isn't a good fit for that. Now to a consumer, yes. Or if you're talking to an engineer about an engineering product, maybe so, you know, th those are, you know, those can be powerful, but it depends on the audience. So there is no one story that fits every situation. And that's something that I often get a request from client from my clients to do is give me the one story that my entire team can use. Well, it doesn't really fit most situations. And when you go in for that second meeting with the client, are you going to tell them the same story? You've already heard it. Right. So, you know, there, you know, I, I would caution that while founder stories, you know, can be very good, it depends on the situation, depends on your audience and what you're trying to achieve, right? So when I talk about storytelling, I'm talking about really how do you deliver a perspective or a point of view or an insight? What do you know about your audience's challenges or opportunities or business or market or industry that they don't know? That's interesting to people. Now, it's got to be relevant to them or you got to make it relevant to them. But can you deliver that insight perspective point of view? Using a micro story to deliver that perspective makes it interesting, makes it more interesting, makes it stickier. So when I say micro story, it can be a narrative. It can be a, a 30 to 90 second story or it can be a whiteboarding exercise where it's a visual story. It can be a photograph, which is a visual story. It can be a video. It can be an analogy, which is a form of story. It can be a data-driven story. But, but my point here is that the stories are micro stories that are intended to deliver a perspective in an interesting way. And that's what makes them so sticky. But there's a whole bunch of other ingredients in a message outside of storytelling. Storytelling kind of opens the doors and gets them actively listening so that they can hear the other ingredients, which are really important. And so you asked about the ingredients of messaging. Well, you got that perspective delivered with a story of some sort, but there's also 
value proposition or the benefits? What's in it for them? Why should your audience care about this? What's it going to do for them specifically? And don't give them a laundry list or a shopping list of benefits. It's going to save time, save money, reduce risk, increase satisfaction, faster time to market. It's, in, it's innovative. It's scalable. And that's what I typically see in most presentations as a whole. If benefits are talked about at all, they tend to be a laundry list of, of potential benefits, and it becomes word soup to the audience. And let's be honest, getting back to differentiation, everyone's going to claim they have good people. Everyone's going to claim they're innovative. Everyone claims that they're going to reduce some sort of problem. Or they have the best thing in the world. Nobody else has anything like it. That's right. And just because it's different doesn't mean it's better. Unless it is better, but then you got to show how it's better. You can't just claim that it's better. And that's another part about the value and the benefits that you're talking about. You have to be able to prove it. So if you're talking about, look, this can reduce, you know, this can reduce pain by reducing inflammation. The way we reduce inflammation is through this, and we can help with the product with my product, which is product X. So now I've made a very high-level claim, reduce pain, and I've tied it directly to the product that I'm selling, now I've got to go and give proof for that. Prove that it reduces pain. Prove that it has, not, not that it could reduce pain, but that it has reduced pain. Can you get a testimonial? Can you get uh, clinical data? Can you get test data? Can you get testimonials from someone who's used it, saying that it's worked well for them? Now you're proving that your product has actually delivered the benefits that you've promised. Also, why do they need it? Well, what we see is, you know, X percentage of population has foot pain. Do you have foot pain? Do you have back pain? You know, and start talking about the things that this could help with. Um, how does it work? Well, then you can get into the, into the science. How does this product reduce inflammation? Well, it increases circulation, which gets the fluid out of the tissues, right? Now we're getting into the educational part. But what I see in most presentations is there's no perspective. The benefits, if they're there at all, are very technical and tend to be a laundry list. And then the evidence tends to be, or the proof tends to be explanations of how it works. The how, 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 how but it doesn't actually prove it does work. And so those are some of the key ingredients that, that I would say are necessary for a persuasive message. How, how fluent should you be in your competition's offerings? In general, you should be pretty fluent in, in what, your, what your competition offers and how they're different. Now, I am a firm believer that we don't want to sell against our competitors. Mm -hmm. Don't talk about what the competitor is doing wrong. I prefer to talk about our strengths or what we're doing to be superior. Now, you can imply some things, but I wouldn't call out a competitor and say what they're doing mm -hmm. wrong. However, it's still important to understand what do, what do the competitors offer? Because at the end of the day, people make decisions based on differences, not on similarities. And so they're looking for a reason why they should choose you over three or four or 50 competitors. What makes you unique? 
it's hard for you to differentiate if you don't know what you're differentiating against. So understanding how you're different is based on partially on really understanding how you're different. Well, what I see a lot of uh, being a formulator is people coming to me saying, Hey, I like this product. Can you make something like it? Can you copy it? Can you create your own version of it? Um, and it might be something that's trending. And so people just kind of want to follow the train, you know, follow, follow the curtails of what's popular and recreate that. And hopefully, you know, just like, like the CBD industry, you know, everyone wants to do the CBD stuff. So like how, how, I mean, you can only have so many unique stories if everyone, the market's saturated. I mean, some people might argue that that whole industry is not saturated, but you know, if you are a general consumer, there's so many different options. How do I know what to choose? Uh, and then what's the story if it's all the same product? How can we really differentiate? Is 5% vitamin C better than 2%? And is it really, you know, advantageous? And now we're going back to talking about the educated consumer and educated consumer knows better. So it's kind of a, it's an iffy thing and it's really challenging, especially if you're creating a product, if you're creating a service or you have a, a service offering, it makes sense because that is so customized, but products is problem solution, <laughs> put it on, spend $5 or whatever. And I think at the end of the day, it does become a price purchase, not necessarily a benefits purchase, depending on the education level, like you said, of the the person listening. Agreed. And if you're coming in and you're copying things, right, you've got your customer saying, hey, can you formulate something like this? Well, one, it's great that you've got a customer coming to you and saying that they've got a, they've got a need for it. Right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you're coming in with something very, very similar to other products that are already out there, one, you're, you're heading down the path to commoditization, mm -hmm. right? Which means that your margins are going to go down. Or your cost of customer acquisition is going to go up or both, right? So both of those are problems. Um, yeah. And again, if it's not differentiated, well, then now you're differentiating not on the product, but on the brand. I like the experience yes. with the brand. I like what this brand stands for, or I've got experience with this brand. I know they're good. I, you know, I'm just going to stick with what I know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can use tons of examples in, in, in the consumer side, you know, look at, look at lip balms, right? Do I, I like Burt's Bees because I use Burt's Bees and there's something about bees. that feels like it's natural, even though, you know, that, that brand has been bought by a, by a big conglomerate. So, yeah, so it's. Clorox company, by the way, for those of you who are listening. Okay. And I'm not beating up on Clorox <laughs> or on anybody. I'm just going to make a point here, right? Well, Burt's, Burt's Bees is my competitor, so I can say that. <laughs> yeah, you know, so those are, those are the sorts of things that we just need to be aware of, right? So even, even if the, again, if the product itself isn't differentiated, the brand strength or the recognition or past experience with other products can be the differentiator. That's the differentiator. Sometimes people don't want the big name brand. They want something that they feel is local or that, that they feel is customized or has more vitamin C for whatever reason, if you can show there's a benefit to that, right? So th those are the things that can help. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what, that's how I've been doing it with my brand as far as, you know, talking about the local, the personalized attention, Everything is custom versus here's the stock thing that everyone else can copy and use. So that might be a, a good selling proposition for somebody else who 
is working with somebody who's a formulator, for example, I'm just giving that as a, in the context of this conversation, yeah. it could be anything though. Um, just having that customized solution for a particular audience is a really good selling point. Great. And maybe, maybe that's one way to f fight that competition. If you've got similar widgets. Well, and you know, and, and I'm, I'm get I'm quickly getting out of my depth here, but Mm. You know, thinking about bringing on a whole bunch of new products means also means you have more SKUs, you have more things that you have to crowd onto your website. And the more things that are more products you have on your website, the harder it is to find the things that you really want as a consumer. And you start getting away from customization in your case and getting into a broader range, which makes it really hard to, to, to compete with the conglomerates that have a thousand products. Well, and not only are you competing with outside of your organization, you're competing with yourself. If you've got such a huge selection of items, now you're competing with yourself. Um, yeah. And that's anyway, anyway, I know that's off topic, but <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about not having the right message and maybe wasting someone's time oversharing. Like, how do you know you're giving too much information and when should you hold back? Yep. Because sometimes people have this, feeling like, let me just do a dump and hopefully something sticks. When should you hold back? That's hard. Particularly when we're in a conversation and we, you know, we're in the flow of things. We're in uncharted territory because in a conversation, you can't control a conversation like you can a presentation. A general rule that we like to follow is don't answer questions the audience doesn't have yet. And lots of times we overshare because we want to show how much how much work we've put into this so far, because we're passionate about this, because we've done our homework. And sometimes we we overshare with negative information to build credibility. But here's some of the downside that you should be aware of. Now I agree the audience should be aware of downsides. However. In an early stage conversation, if you bring up negative aspects like that, it starts the audience to already start thinking of reasons why not to choose you or your product. And it doesn't mean we hide those things, but we just need to be aware of in this conversation, what do we need to talk about to help the audience make a decision? And sometimes talking about negative things is necessary to help them make the right decision for them, not just this, the buying decision to choose us. But beyond all that, if we overshare information and give too much, what ends up happening is we dilute the message. If we talk about 15 different things, and there's really only two or three things that are going to drive the buyer, well, the other 12 things create so much noise, they don't necessarily hear or remember the things that were most important to them. And so let's talk about the things that are most important, even if some of those things might be negative. Let's talk about the important things and important to get to the next step. The other problem with oversharing is we tend to talk about all the information they're going to need to make the final purchasing decision. And if you're in the farmer's market and the purchasing decision is right now, that's okay. But if you're talking to a commercial buyer to put onto a lot of shelves and a lot of different stores, there may be five or 10 or 15 meetings that you have with them. 
and you try to share everything for the final meeting in meeting number two, again, you're overwhelming them and slowing down or preventing that next step. So we need to, we need to narrow that down. Part of that comes with confidence. We get anxious, we're in a meeting and we blah, 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 too much comes out. But we need to get better at that. And part of that is having more meetings. Tell me about message strategy and, you know, having a bad message when you're giving a presentation, because I know that's something that you coach on quite a bit is, and I've seen this in corporate America where people just lap on a whole bunch of bullet points and fill up the PowerPoint. And then they literally face the screen and read each bullet point without any face-to-face engagement. Um, so what advice would you give to somebody who has never been taught these types of communication skills, tact, sales methodology? Boy, how, how many hours do we have to spend? So uh, let me start with some, with some broad perspective here. So what most professionals do when they're presenting is they educate. They try to inform their audience. Because we all think that if we give our audience, whether the audience is our boss or whether our audience is a customer or potential customer, we assume that if we give them good information, they are rational, logical creatures who will connect the dots and come to the same conclusion you have. Or we're talking to organizations, we're talking to a large customer, a big company, and you know what? They're an engineering company. And so they're full of engineers and we think that we're talking to a company, but the reality is we're talking to human beings. Human beings make the decisions. And when we go in and we try to educate people, you know, adults, they're not active learners. It's not their job to sit there and listen to every word you have to say and do the hard processing to agree with what you're saying. They're going to be passive learners. You have to convince them. And if you just give them information, what ends up happening, a whole bunch of things happen. You know, one is they just don't make a decision or they don't make it quickly. And we have to have the same meeting over and over and over and over again. My advice is stop educating your audience and start motivating your audience to choose you. So should you, when you go into a presentation with a CEO or, or some decision maker, hopefully if you're planning your meeting, you're doing this with the decision maker in the room. I mean, that would be the ideal situation. Um, but should you ask questions before you go into the meeting or just kind of make the assumption that you know what they're going to, because you go in with an agenda. So how do you prepare for a pitch? So yes, preferably you're asking questions ahead of time and you have an existing relationship with that client or someone who, who works with a decision maker. So you have an informed perspective when you come in. Um, But sometimes you get in the room and there's someone there you didn't expect. You're expecting to meet with the director of IT and the CIO is there too, right? So that that changes things. In that case, you need to think on your feet a little bit and, and, and adjust you know, the value proposition you're making to better fit who else is in the room. Now, that's hard because you know, lots of times in meetings, you've got a mix of people with, with a mix of titles and a mix of personal agendas, and you, you can't satisfy everyone. So focus on the people who can say yes, yes to your idea, yes to the next step. And that doesn't mean you ignore everyone else, but I would put most of your effort, probably 80% of it into that one person who can actually say yes to your request. 
What what do you do in a situation where you're in that meeting and then your person that you're trying to, you know, your decision maker has to leave? What do you do you just quickly try to get something out before they go? What should your goal be in that situation? All right. This happens all the time. We go in, we have a meeting scheduled for an hour and we get in there and they say, hey, I'm sorry, I've only got 20 minutes. Happens all the time. So if you have an effective process for your messaging, then what that means is you are able to prioritize what you're going to talk about. And you're going to talk about the most important things first. So if you run out of time, you don't speed up and try to get more out. You just cut it off because you've already talked about the most important things. So it's a... Reduce your content instead of speaking more and speaking fast. Yes. So yes. so by then you would have already established what your objective is verbally to your target audience there. And that way when it's time to leave, you're not just quickly scrambling. It reminds me of journalism because when you are, I studied, I took quite a few classes, journalism classes in school and they teach you the, you know, they, in school, when you're not in college, they teach you the pyramid where you have the main idea and then you have all the additional supporting details. And then at the end you have your conclusion, which is what your objective is or what you're trying to achieve or in conclusion, this is a good idea because of these reasons. Well, in journalism, they teach you the complete opposite. They flip, they flip it upside down. So your headline tells you everything that's in that message in that article without even reading it. And then the first paragraph gives you the summary of that entire article. And then you go into additional supporting details. So I, I mean, from my experience in marketing and presentations and all this, you really should start with what is your objective? If you can't say it in one sentence, you have no idea what you're trying to say. And you're just going to be rambling and going on and on, and you will lose the, that audience's attention. So Start with what your key message is, uh, is, and then your main summary of of the meat of what your objective is and what you're offering is, and the solution that you're providing is, and then you have that supporting detail because then when the your your person leaves the room, you've already said all the golden nuggets. Why would you keep going? Right. Yep. Spot on. Okay. Yep, and it. You're right. So in academia and you know, for, for legal, right, in, in trials, we build the case. Build, 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 build the case, eventually get to the recommendation at the end. Start with the recommendation up front. What's the big, what's the high-level perspective, why it's important to them, what they need to do, and then support it. Not build the case and then because by the end, they're not listening anyways. Let's be honest. Just like a newspaper article. Yeah. People get two thirds of the way through it and then, okay. And then they go to the next article. Yeah. Right. They get distracted. Everyone's too so, busy to be reading the whole thing anyway. So let's just get to the point. Right. Tell me what the point is. So I can decide if I want it or not. And let's move on. Yep. Is this relevant to me? Mm -hmm. And if I can't answer that right away, I'm not going to continue reading it. 
Now, this is if you've prepared a presentation and you're going into a meeting, like a typical meeting setting. What if you are at a trade show, for example, and you run into somebody that's amazing and you just really want their time and, you know, this is the decision maker and, you know, you've got like 30 seconds to pitch your idea. What what do you do when there's so much stimulus around and this person's distracted by all the things and shiny things around? How do you get their attention and and, and create that message so concisely? And how do you, pre- you can't prepare that. That guy just came out of nowhere. Well, that, that guy came out of nowhere, but your, you know, your elevator pitch, if you will, you should have that prepared and ready. If you run into someone who is a potential fit for your technology or someone who's a potential partner, someone who's a potential employee, those are three different messages you should probably have prepared before you get there. And when I say message, I mean, you know, literally like a minute or two long. It's memorize something that you've prepared and have really thought through so that you can repeat it later, right? Well, yeah. So memorize it to the point where it can flow. You can have the conversation. I don't want people memorizing things word for word. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to switch into, into script mode and rattle off, you know, word for word what they're going to say. Because, you know, think about that. Even, like when you get a call from a telemarketer, you can tell they're scripted. Right. Well, the same thing happens in conversations. You're talking to someone, you're going back and forth, there's banter, and then all of a sudden you jump into pitch mode and da, 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 da. they can tell. Because typically when things are scripted, we, we write them out and they tend to be much more formal than what we use in conversation. Yeah. And people can tell the difference. And they may not be consciously aware of it, but old lizard brain kicks in and knows that, okay, now they're, they're in a sales mode. But if you know, you know, in general, I'm going to say in general, if you know what your value proposition is and or the value proposition for your specific idea and you know the key points there, you can rattle those off in conversational tone, right? But I, so let, you know, let's use the, the, the going to a convention as a, or a trade show as the example. If you're going to meet potential customers, well, you know, you can't tailor it for every single one there, but you can give at a very high level some insight on why your idea should be important to them. You should have basic values that most of your target clients are are going to align with. Things like reducing cost, increasing market share, increasing revenue, you know, pretty much any, if if you're selling to a business, those are things that are driving a business. If you're talking to individuals, well, maybe it's things around health. I don't know many, many individual consumers who aren't concerned about health or will be concerned about health at some point. So find some of those universal values. Have a couple of, of, of proof points available in case they start asking questions. But it's got to be short. Some perspective, the high-level benefits or value proposition, and what you do to deliver that or what your organization does to deliver that. Would you recommend that if you've got that five minute window of somebody that you've been dying to meet and you're in the elevator, literally, should you start with, Hey, Joe, my name is Dahlia. And I would really like to have five minutes with you in a meeting. Can we schedule something? Because you don't want to feel pressured in that 10 minute, five, you know, whatever five minute interaction you have to have your pitch or get your idea out, should you just start with, hey, this is my goal. This is what I want to ask right off the bat? You can. I, I would recommend that you ask that quickly and give them an out to say no. 
because they know where you're heading and you're, you're, you're selling them, right? Hey, I would love to get five minutes to talk with you. The reason why I'd like to talk with you is because I think I can solve some sort of problem. Now, I wouldn't say solve some sort of problem, but talk about a problem that you think is probably relevant to them. For example, hey, hey Dolly, I would love to get five minutes. I'm, I'm glad I ran into you. I'd love to get five minutes to talk with you because I think I can help you increase your revenue and reduce your cost. Oh, now it's not just about you coming in and selling something to me. You're talking my language, which is revenue and cost. I'm with Kevin Palo of DeliberateConsulting.com. Stick around till after the break. You don't want to miss his explanation of what is a sticky message. And both he and I have a message for you salespeople out there. You mentioned sticky. What does sticky mean? Memorable. Do they remember it? And does it drive decisions? And so by sticky in a in a message, if you tell, if you deliver a really interesting perspective or insight with a little micro story that was interesting, what ends up happening is that even after you leave the room and they bump into someone in the hall, they say, hey, I just had this really interesting meeting. And she told me the story about a guy who was driving a car down the wrong, you know, the wrong way down the street and da, 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 and how it relates to, you know, being able to, to reduce risk and, and increase revenue. And they can repeat the first few minutes of, of your message with that sticky, memorable story and perspective that goes with it. And probably also spot, you know, pop off with one or two of the, the key benefits to them. And maybe even remember your product name. Boy, wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) But it's something that sticks with them that they can repeat to other people and they keep thinking about. Interesting. I've had cases where, so you and I both worked in a a large company in the oil and gas industry. And I had given a presentation one time using this methodology. And six years later, I got on an elevator and someone said, hey, you're the guy that did the presentation with those yellow balls. Six years later, I'm like, yeah, what was I talking about? And he goes, well, you were talking about everyone being able to see questions and answers and participate. um, And that way everyone can learn. I go, okay, what was I talking about? And he goes, well, knowledge management. So here's someone who six years later remembered a presentation I did. And not only the interesting part with these stupid yellow foam balls I was throwing around the room, but what my key points were. To me, that's amazing because how many presentations has that person been through in the last six years and how many of those does he not remember anything from? Do you think that having a leave behind is important to your message? It depends. (laughs) There's my, there's my, there's my uh, BS consultant speak. It can, particularly if it's complex information. So there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can give the, the leave behind, actually make it a leave ahead, you know, send it to them ahead of time so that they can consume it and get questions. But then it needs to be more of a document. Right? There actually needs to be not just bullet points, but full thoughts and, and, and narrative around it so they can read it and understand it, consume it. 
so that when they come into the meeting, they're prepared. What I have seen is in most organizations, people don't do any pre-reading. Or you can hand it out afterwards, maybe even a copy of the deck or a portion of the deck so that they have something afterwards to refer to when they're trying to explain it to other people or trying to remember some, some of the finer detail. What I, what, I, what I don't recommend is giving the handout in the meeting because what ends up happening then is that while you're presenting, they're going through the document or the handout and leafing through it and looking ahead. Human beings cannot read and listen at the same time. So if they're reading it, they're not listening to what you're saying. You might, may as well just email it to them and not show up at all. So don't, don't give the hand up. Some people will say, but it's important for them to be able to, to use it to take notes so they don't have to write everything down. Okay, fair enough. In that case, I wouldn't give them the actual same deck that you're presenting. If you're presenting slides, have pages in there with empty bullet points that they can fill in as you go. So at least they're, they're recording it down and get some muscle memory out of it. A creative way to have them um, cre create their content, what their takeaways are from your conversation, because what my bullet points are for me might be different from what you took away. So it just uh, kind of reinforces the relevance to me, what's in it for me. Yep. So, so should, is it a good practice for someone to share their entire PowerPoint presentation or would it be better just to kind of create the, a, a, a concise version of that, just the, the key messages? I would say just a concise version. The key messages, the, and again, the finer detail there, if they need to reference something or share it with somebody else. So if you, if you actually look at my presentation decks, when I'm teaching a class or when I'm giving a, a keynote, if I'm, if I'm there in person, 70% of the time, my screen is off. It's just blank because I'm part of the message. I'm my own visual support. And I might be up on a flip chart or on a, on a whiteboard. Online, you've, already, you've always have to have something up on the screen if you're doing a remote meeting. Because if you've got a blank screen, it's almost like an invitation to open up Outlook. Once they're in Outlook, you don't get them back, or it's hard to get them back. But a lot of my slides are just visuals. And if you were just to look at my deck without me there to present, it doesn't make sense. Why is there a picture of a car driving the wrong way down a street? Why is there a picture, picture of a mountaintop? Why is there a slide with a guy with a confused look on his, on his, on his face with his hands up in the air? Well, those visuals are there to support what I'm saying, but on their own, they don't have any context and they're just confusing. But here's a key takeaway for everyone. Your slide deck in a presentation is not the message. That's the visual support for your message. Your message is what comes out of your mouth and the things that you say. And that's something that a lot of people don't have a lot of clarity on. They tend to think that the PowerPoint is the message, and it's not. If you need the, the collateral to be the message, you need to, you need to write a paper with actual 
paragraphs and sentences and punctuation and full thoughts, not just a bunch of bullet points and charts. And, you know, at best, maybe having some notes down in the note section. Would your pitch be the verbal pitch that you give, say, at a, you know, walking around a trade show, be the same pitch that you would give face to face? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, a pitch that I'm giving at a, at a trade show, if you know, I'm I'm in the, I'm in the the vendor section. I run into somebody at the networking hour, and I give a little pitch there. That's a conversation, and that's very very short. If I'm doing a formal pitch, I've got information to back it up. I've got data. I've got charts and graphs. I've got testimonials. I've got industry studies. Okay, so. So when I do my leave behind, should it be going back to just the key takeaways that I would maybe give verbally as well? Should the, should the verbal message match the image in a way? Well, the, the image needs to match the verbal. Let me put it that way. One of the, one of the mistakes I see people make is they start with the slides first and then figure out what their talk track is around it. It's ass backwards. Start with the message and what do you need to support that? What content do you need to support that? Is it a case history? Is it is it uh, lab data? I don't know. What do you have to support what you're claiming? And to show that sense of urgency. Okay. Don't start with, with slides because these slides have worked great in the past. People like the slide. I like delivering the slide. And then I'll try to figure out how to shoehorn that into, into, this, into this deck. And, and that's how we end up with too much stuff and end up educating instead of motivating because we're giving just Yeah, too much. I see that a lot with companies who are trying to create boilerplate presentations where, you know, you've got that one message created by your marketing team and then your salespeople take that slide deck and put their name on it and now it's customized for them. And... You know, how do you, how do you, if you are an employee at a corporation and you're told these are your slides, how do you, if you know you're learning about storytelling and you've got this technique of, you know, my goal message first, then supporting evidence and then the least important stuff later, how do I recreate that for my company if I'm basically directed to use a certain slide deck? I get into a lot of fist fights with marketing groups. <laughs> Well, maybe not, maybe not literal fistfights, but I, we have some hard, hard conversations around this. Marketing, as we mentioned, has a wide view. They're trying to address multiple audiences. Marketing thinks they own the message because they're marketing, damn it. They know the product. They know the market space. They know the trends. That's great. Rarely does marketing actually sell anything. It's sales. Now, selling to consumers, different. Selling to large organizations, it's sales that, that drive revenue. Marketing can drive leads and opportunities, can better understand the market to inform sales. But when marketing tries to own the message and control the message, they're putting handcuffs on the salespeople. And one of two things generally happens Less mature salespeople tend to just use what marketing gives them 
and they go and they deliver it to a client and they don't get any conversion because it isn't relevant to the client. Or sales breaks the rules and you know it, whether they adapt the PowerPoint or they go so far as to taking screen captures so that they can put it into their own PowerPoint deck and create their own message, that's the other result. You're killing me. I've edited many, many presentations because someone with no creative branding, anything, took a corporate slide deck that I might've created. It's fine that you want to customize the message, but don't be using clip art and like crazy fonts and misusing uh, the logo. It's just, and... okay. Marketing has a role and I understand marketing yeah. in a way does own the message. And I think there should be some truth to that, but I think the accountability comes from, uh, marketing going side by side with a salesperson to your audience to understand that message rather than just being in a cubby hole somewhere in some office and not really seeing the real life of it and being in the field. Uh, I mean, marketing does, I think should be accountable for the message and the visual element and branding. Um, but I also agree with you in the sense that they need to understand the audience. And the only way to do that is to be in the environment and not just make assumptions about that target audience. Well, I'm with you. And I'm glad that I, that I, I poked a sore spot. <laughs> You did. <laughs> I, I, I know I did. And, and this is why I get into yeah. fist fights with marketing groups because they don't like when I, when I tell them this. Ultimately, sales needs to tailor their message to their client and their client's unique specific needs. If marketing is a partner and has, well, let's, let's, let's be honest about this too, has the capacity and availability to tailor those messages they need to. If they don't have the capacity and the availability to tailor that, they need to produce material that sales can tailor, but tailor, not rip and shove together and take portions of a slide and build all the crazy clip art and animations and other stuff that, that salespeople tend to do, right? Which ends up happening then is a what I call the, the Frankenstein presentation that has slides from four other presentations for not even four other presentations, four presentation templates. So they all have different looks and feels. And, and okay. So I, I I'm looking, I'm laughing because I'm looking me. at your face on the camera right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so like, it's very emotional. <laughs> I know because you put so much heart and effort and creativity and intention into the slides that you're making. And then when they're pulled out of context and slammed together, it defeats all of that. And I get that. My recommendation is marketing needs to stop putting a straight jacket on sales, but they should provide some guardrails. So we can't control the message that sales needs to deliver to make revenue but we can give them high level tools and direction to keep them you know, from getting into trouble, either from a branding perspective or a messaging perspective. For example, if there's a sales presentation, have high level benefits, but allow to sales to tailor some of those benefits based on what their specific clients are saying and using the client specific technical language. I absolutely agree with that. 
Absolutely. And uh, having been on the other side of the marketing element um, in creating these types of presentations for companies and, and trying to reinforce the brand image and the whole style and brand personality, um, I, I do see there's a need for it. But I've also worked with the sales team hand in hand to get them something that's customized for that audience. And I will say this for those of you who are listening and you are that salesperson that goes and does all this. Okay. There's that's fine, but give your presentation back to your marketing person just to kind of finesse it and make it look presentable and uh, maybe break the content up a little bit better in a, a, in a logical order. Um, so work with your marketing team on that. Don't feel like you are the only one responsible for putting this out. Um, that's what they should do. At least a good marketing support team should support you and not just create and then let you run with it. They should be with you and you know, holding your hand through that process of creating an amazing presentation for you. They should. But again, it gets back to capability, or capacity and availability. Right. When you and I worked together in the oil and gas industry, there were two marketing people for a $2 billion organization. When I worked for a, a software as a service company, they had 80 marketing people for an 8,000 person organization. Right. So it's just, it's, you know, marketing has to be available to make those changes or if not build the flexibility in. For the sales folks who are out there, that are listening to this. While I'm saying you need to control the message for your client, that doesn't mean you just get to put any anything that comes into mind into this stuff. Now, I will say, again, to beat up on marketers a little bit, brand, yeah, it's important. But we've all seen the logo police and the template police flip <laughs> out because their creative vision isn't being, isn't being respected. At the end of the day, sales generally doesn't care and the client does not care at all how much gutter space there is around your logo. And <laughs> Do not care. Do not care what yeah. logo you use or not logo. Do not care what font you use. Marketers will lose their mind. But again, to salespeople, this isn't open license to use Comic Sans ever as a font. Uh, thank okay, you. You're welcome. Thank you. So, <laughs> those are some of the pain points there. But within the, you know that structure, so let's say marketing puts a sales deck together for sales to be able to tailor and take out, you know, things like proof points. Well, I would put a lot of proof points in there, and then let sales pick one of these three things. Pick the the, the proof point that best fits your client and industry. So you're building some flexibility into it. Now, what happens is we send these things out and salespeople don't understand the instructions or that they should only pick one proof point out of three. We need to be very clear on how do you use this deck? So maybe the first slide is, a, you know, the header at the top in very big red letters says, do not show this slide. Here's how to use this deck. But you'd be surprised because I've seen people actually present that to the customer. Uh, also, what I would recommend for, for marketing is that if you put a sales deck together, don't just put things in the notes because people just, they can't internalize the notes. And if they try to read the notes, again, they sound like a robot who is following a script. What I recommend is whoever puts the deck together, record presenting the deck. That way sales can listen to the message and understand, oh, that's how I deliver this slide. Oh, those are the key points that I need to make. It's much easier for them to 
repeat and modify a little bit what someone else is saying than it is for them to be able to do that with the script. I absolutely love that idea because everyone has different learning styles and to have a visual and audio demonstration will, I think, not only create uh, the stickiness with your salesperson to use it, but also help reinforce the message strategy that you're trying to achieve because you'll be repeating it and emphasizing it and um, the way that message is recorded, you can focus in on that key emphasis that you're trying to achieve. I, I think that is wonderful advice. And I wish somebody had told that to me <laughs> many years ago. Well, it's something I've learned along the way. So uh, there's that. Yeah. Um, and lots of times marketers are uncomfortable with doing that because they're not there to give the presentation. They're there to create the presentation. And what they really mean is create the slides. But just walk people through it, particularly when you're using some micro storytelling in there to share that perspective. A lot of salespeople have no idea where you're trying to go with that. And so by being able to demonstrate it and show how to deliver that slide, huge value to anyone else who has to go out and deliver it. Wow. I, I really appreciate this conversation. It's nice to see perspective on different ways of doing things that you've been doing for years. Um, especially if you've never been trained, like some of the people might listening might not have ever been taught to present or taught how to build something or taught the marketing element to it. So it's, it's kind of, it's refreshing to hear, wow, maybe I should undo some of the things that I've learned. Tell me a little bit more about your business and deliberate consulting and how do you, what's your process? Well, for the training, it's going through the core concepts, you know, what are the ingredients of a persuasive message? How do you structure that in a way to make sure you have all those ingredients put together the right way, prioritized the right way, and above all, strategic? How does this meet my specific audience's needs? How does, what specific goal does this support of my own? How do I structure all that together? So that's the training side of it. The consulting side is more walking through the process. Me asking about a million and one questions and then me calling bullshit on a lot of the content that, that the client tends to want to bring in. All the slides of stuff they always put into presentations and they put it into it. They put that stuff in because it's conventional. It's what they've always done. In, in, in a large business world, that's the logo slide amongst others. Here's all the customers we've ever worked with, which doesn't do a great job of convincing anybody anything other than you were able to sell a bunch of stuff at some point in time to a lot of people. But it doesn't really belong in most presentations because most customers don't care who else you've worked with. What I do is fun. People tend to have fun when they come through my training or, or do a consulting event with me. I enjoy what I do. I love seeing people get better and I love them going out and applying it in the real world. So if you, if you go to my LinkedIn you know, profile or you go to my deliverconsulting.com, you'll see the style of messaging that I do. I've got videos in there, I've got content in there, but I've got to drink my own champagne. I've got to follow my own process. So that's one of the things you'll see in, in pretty much everything that I do. So you're the example that we're gonna follow. Well, I would hope so.
<laughs> You've done a really great job of articulating yourself today, Kevin. So I appreciate the insight you've given me personally, and I'm sure the listeners have learned quite a bit from you as well. So I'm super excited to have you back on for the next episode. Thank you so much, Kevin, for being on the show today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having To learn more about Kevin Palo, you can find him on LinkedIn or visit his website, deliberateconsulting.com. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please subscribe to Making It to Market wherever you listen to podcasts or listen from our website, makingittomarket.com. Thank you for your honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. And a special thanks to our listeners and show sponsors. Without your support, I wouldn't be able to do this. As you know, Making It to Market is a new show and I need your help to get the word out. Feel free to share links to your favorite episodes. You don't want to miss the next one where we talk about crafting your message to the right audience. If there's a topic you'd like to hear, have a comment, or even a question you'd like for me to address, feel free to leave me a voice message on our podcast phone line. And if we air your question or comment in an upcoming episode, we'll send you a Making It to Market t-shirt or mug. Details are in the show notes. Before you leave, check out this musical duo from Houston, Texas. My friends, Kim and Bill.com. Thanks for listening. Until the next time, make decisions that make a difference. We've been together for such a while Survived everything from A to Z Through every frown and every smile I gave it to you, give it to me Together we shine so bright You can say it's wrong but I know it's right I tell you once I tell you again